Becky Nova began investing in real estate in 2018 when she and her husband Emilio purchased their first duplex in Yonkers, New York. Just a year later, she bought a four-family in the same neighborhood as well as a condo in the Dominican Republic, her husband's native country. Now she has acquired 10 doors in competitive high cost of living areas in two years. She's grown a love for working with first-time investors and runs a popular Facebook group called Lady Landlords to empower women to become knowledgeable and confident in real estate investing. Becky has created digital courses, worksheets, live events, and a YouTube channel to aid her followers on their journey. In this episode, we talked to Becky about buying her first house hack, a duplex in Yonkers, New York, and how that lit the fire of interest in real estate investing. We also talk about buying two properties in the Dominican Republic and the system she's put in place to put landlording on autopilot. I'm Brittany. And I'm Neil. And this is the Road to Family Freedom. Before we get to this week's show, we'd like to make you aware of something. We are self-storage investors. We buy existing self-storage facilities and vacant buildings that can be converted to self-storage in the Sun Belt. We buy them with cash and some with loans, and we use private lenders who become equity partners in our deals. These equity partners share in the cash flow and the profits when we sell. When we find a deal that we are considering, we call the equity partners and offer them a share of the ownership secured by the property. So if you've ever driven by a self-storage facility and thought, I wonder who owns those things? and you have any interest in learning more about the storage business, we'd love to chat with you. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash storage. That's roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash S-T-O-R-A-G-E and set up a time to chat. We look forward to speaking with you. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Becky Nova, welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Thank you so much for having me on today. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's our pleasure. So you have, for those of our our listeners who are only listening, only listening on audio, Becky is uh, talking to us from uh, the Dominican Republic. She's got a beautiful setting behind her, nice tropical weather. But there might be mm-hmm. a little bit of a delay when we talk, so I apologize for any sort of sound issues, but. So Becky, before we dig deeper, can you give us the quick rundown of how you got into real estate? Sure. I always tell people this was never a place that I ever expected to be in. I am a cancer researcher by day and a real estate investor by night. I had lived during most of my 20s. I'd actually lived in Europe. I used to own a tour company in Spain. I owned a bar in Portugal. My vision was really just to traveled the world for as long as I could. Unfortunately, I made a really bad business decision in buying the bar in Portugal and had to move back home in 2013. When I was about 30 years old, I had to move back penniless and move into my parents' house. Nobody likes that at the age of 30. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next in my life. I ended up going back to cancer research for, for a little bit of time. But at that time, I had actually met my then boyfriend, now husband, And he's from the Dominican Republic, which is one of the reasons we're here. And he really has that American dream, white picket fence perspective. So he said, you know, I really want to be able to buy a house. I did not. But in relationships, you always end up compromising. So I said, fine, I'll buy a house. But we're going to figure out a way to be able to make money from buying real estate. So that's what we did. We in 2018, we bought our first duplex in New York that we house hacked. And literally the week after closing, when we had tenants moving in and I got that first check in my hand, 
I was sold on this business and I was like, that's it. We've got to do this again. How fast can I buy another property? Well, can you tell us about um, a bit about that first property that you bought? Sure. At the time, my husband and I were living in a six-floor walk-up in the Bronx in New York. We really wanted to be able to stay in the Bronx. We felt that there was actually some really good real estate opportunities there. So we started looking at multifamilies in the area, but the competition was insane. We got completely blown out of the water. People were making offers, $100,000 in cash overnight. There was just nothing we can kind of do to compete. So luckily, we had a really great realtor to point us in the direction of um, right outside of New York City. So we're about a 10-minute walk <laughs> into New York City, where we currently live in Yonkers, New York. And we found a fantastic duplex there. And that actually ended up being our first our first property. There was not so much of a bidding war on that property. There was just one other couple that we ended up in a little bit of a bidding war with, but we ended up getting the property. And that then was property number one. Would you be willing to share some of the, like how much you purchased it for? Yeah, of course. The purchase price on that property, well, what we ended up getting it for with the accepted offer, we ended up getting it for four sixty five. It was... And it was a conventional loan, but since it was owner occupied, we put down the 5%, which was 23500 So that's what we had to kind of get in. And then our closing costs were around the same, ended up being around $23,000. I was just going to ask if you had to do any um, like renovations or... So once again, we didn't actually think we were going to end up being real estate investors or getting into this game at all. So we were really happy that the property that we were buying was actually turnkey. So we actually had bought it from Flippers, which was interesting. We learned a lot from that experience. So we'd bought it from somebody else that had flipped the property, which was interesting because for us, we were excited. We didn't have to do any work. The whole the place was empty for us to be able to move in. Everything looked new and updated and fantastic. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, we bought it from Flippers that decided to make sure to use the lowest grade possible materials and the cheapest labor they could find, which we learned all about the day after we closed. Mm. <laughs> so you were all in for about a little less than $50,000, correct? So Yeah, 20... I think once once we had like the extra fees that you have to pay between, you know, attorney and appraisal and all that, we were right at the 50k mark. Any other major hiccups with that first purchase? Yes. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite stories to tell about hookups in real estate so remember I just mentioned that there was that one other couple that we had to outbid to get this property. Well, they apparently really wanted that property. So in New York, one, like I said, there's a ton of competition. Things move really fast. We had, my husband went to see the property on a Friday. I was working and could not go see the property. He's pickier than I am. So I knew if he liked it, I would like it. I'm the numbers gal. If the numbers work for me, I didn't really kind of care if it was a shoebox. I would have been fine. So he went to go look at it. We put the accepted offer in, ended up winning the bid from this other couple. Well, New York, all because you have an accepted offer, that means absolutely nothing. Until you get into contract, that's when that property is really kind of yours on a legally binding fashion. So we were told and um, our realtor suggested that we get into contract as fast as possible. So we set up the earliest home inspection we can get done, which was then that coming Monday. So all weekend, I am so nervous that somebody else is going to come in and make a bid and outbid us, or there's going to be other people that are looking at this house. I was so anxious. Finally, Monday comes along. 
we are ready to go for this home inspection. I am taking the train up from New York City to where the property is. My husband drove up. He calls me on the train and is like, we have a problem. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, what do you mean problem? He goes, check, check your pictures. I just sent you a text message. The front of our house had been spray painted with racial epitaphs all over the front of our property. Now the property is a brick townhouse and they used bright orange spray paint on the door, all on the front brick, all on the front walkway. So immediately I did two things, one that was smart, one that was not so smart. One, I called my realtor and was like, what's going on? He's like, okay, we'll figure it out. Let's see what happened. He's driving the property himself. The worst thing I did was I called my, I told my mother (laughs) and my mother's like, don't go back out. You're not buying this house. You're not living there. And I'm like, no, like this just doesn't sound right. Like we'll, we'll see, we'll, we'll figure out what's going on with this. So I get to the property. My husband's there. The realtor's there. We're looking at the house and we're like, this is horrible. This is insane. Um, My husband and I kind of talk to each other really quickly in Spanish and I'm like, are you okay with this? He's like, yeah, you okay with this? I say, yeah. So we go through with the home inspection finish the home inspection and we walk out of the house and the police department is there and the fire department is there and all of our neighbors. So now we are talking, we get to meet everybody in the neighborhood, which was fantastic. We got to meet all the police men in my neighborhood, which was fantastic. We met all the fire department because they came to try to power wash off the racial epitaphs. So we are that was our major hiccup. We find out, unfortunately, not till months later, we weren't the owners of the property. So we couldn't be privy to any of the conversation if the police actually went forward or found anybody with this. But a couple months later, I ran into the retired police graffiti detective of the city I live in. And I told him about what had happened and found out that it was actually the couple that had lost the bidding war. Were they trying to like scare you away. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh wow. God, that's that that's a first for us. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> that's just crazy. People are yeah. horrible. It was it was absolutely horrible. Apparently one of our neighbors happens to be a retired police officer and captured it on camera. Oh wow. So they were able to track down once again, unfortunately we don't know what happened with them Probably these people were flippers. They probably didn't press charges, but I still have like, I still carry the pictures on my phone because I'm like, that was just insane what had happened. And the police officers too were so confused. It was a very confusing situation. <laughs> wow. Gotcha. Uh, what was the setup of that property? Like, was it a three, two? Uh, what was the, what was the design there? Sure. So it is, it's an, it's an attached townhouse. So the apartments, the top apartment is actually a three bedroom, one and a half bath duplex. So it takes up the two floors of the house. And then below that is a one bedroom, one bath apartment. That's that garden style. So that has a backyard. And then we do have a basement that's not that we have not done anything with yet. Gotcha. And you still own the property? Yes, we do. Gotcha. Gotcha. And do you still live in it or has that become just a full-time rental? No, we still live in that property now, which was great because since it's just my husband and I, we were actually able to live in the smaller apartment. We live in the one bedroom, one bath, and we rent out the larger income producing property. And just out of curiosity, what does it rent for? 2,400. New York. Uh, So I have a question that, I don't know, 
maybe no one else has this question, but whenever I hear about New York real estate, that mm-hmm. feels like a really low number because like I'm from California and that wouldn't, you know, that's like a, like my parents live in a suburb of Sacramento and their house is only marginally more. That's probably worth like five to 600,000. But you know, in LA, which is really, you know, in San Francisco and stuff, you've got like million dollar homes that are very tiny. So is that kind of a normal, just seems low. But maybe I'm I don't know anything about New York. So no, um, it is low. We actually got a great deal on that property. It is definitely the classy neighborhood. It's definitely falls under that like up and coming. So it is definitely appreciated quite a bit over the past couple of years. We picked it up. Remember how I mentioned that we really wanted to buy in the Bronx, but apparently everybody else did too. Mm-hmm. Where we are is literally right over the border from the Bronx. I could walk to the Bronx in 10 minutes from where I am. So we bought at the exact right time before everybody else spilled into it. Got it. The other difference, too, is that when you cross the border from the Bronx into Westchester County, where we bought this property, taxes basically increased tenfold. So it was something that people really needed to make sure that the numbers were going to still be able to work. And we just happened to be there before a lot of other people. Buying there now is a lot more difficult, a lot more difficult. I was just going to ask what your, the property was worth. Someone's going to want to know that now okay. that it's, what is it appreciated to? And then you can ask whatever sure. question you want. If if we were to put it on the market now, we would probably put it around the 650 Cool. That's great. So just so I can sort of orient myself, I, I sort of know uh, the location of, you know, Manhattan. And then you've got, you know, across the river uh, is, is Brooklyn. And then up, up. North of there, I think, is the Bronx. Yes. And then Yonkers. Yes. Okay. So you're completely right. You got Manhattan, Bronx sits on top of it. And then Yonkers is literally on the border here for where the Bronx is. I was able, from where I live in Yonkers, I was literally from my door to my office in Manhattan, right by Grand Central. So heart of Manhattan here in 30 minutes. Oh, that's and it's great. like a Exactly 30 minutes. That was really one of the big draws of it is because it is such a great commuting location. Yeah. Nice. Uh, my sister lives on the Upper East Side. Uh, so I sort of know, and she used to live in Carroll Gardens in Brooklyn. So I kind of know, I've been to visit and I sort of okay. know the area. So, but it's good. I've lived in Upper East Side for years. Before yeah. I moved in with my husband, that's where I was. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So that was your first property. How did you go from there to acquiring more properties? Sure. So from that first property, like I said, after we closed and got that first check from tenants, I was hooked and I'm like, that's it. We're doing this again. One of the first things I did probably even a week after we closed was I called my realtor and my mortgage broker. And I said, I want to do that again. And they were like, ha you can't do that right now. And I'm like, <laughs> why not? <laughs> so at that point, that was really where I started educating myself. That was when I start when I, I didn't even know that house hacking existed, even though I was doing it until after we'd bought that first property. After that first property was where I started looking into what our options were. At the time, I originally started thinking long-distance investing. So I started identifying markets in other parts of the country. I was even looking at certain places. I had my little team, if you will, my realtor, my property manager set up in other places. But about six months later, I, oddly enough, had a phone call from that realtor that said, hey, did you still want to buy another property? And I said, well, yes, I did. Why? And he goes, I have something I think you might like. It's actually in the same neighborhood. It's a really good opportunity, but can't tell you more about it. You got to get pre-approved and show me that you guys can actually do it. 
I said, okay, not a problem. So I called back that same mortgage broker and I said, hey, okay, let's move forward. Let me know if I can get pre-approved for this. While we were waiting for the pre-approval, my husband came home from grocery shopping, whatever it was. And he goes, hey, it was really weird. I just saw a realtor coming out of the house next door. (laughs) (laughs) Busted. I was like, exactly, completely busted. So what happened? We ended up getting pre-approved. Found out that back when our realtor was doing the appraisal for our first property, that little granny in the neighborhood who's known everybody and has watched everybody grow up for the past 30 years saw somebody she didn't recognize. So she walked over from her house where she sat on her porch and surveyed the neighborhood, walked over, tapped our realtor on the shoulder and was like, hey, I don't know you. What are you doing in my neighborhood? They got to talking. She, he mentioned he was a realtor. She said, you know what? I might be willing to sell my property you know, sometime soon. Here's my phone number. Stay in touch. So when she called him, he called us. So we were able to get pre-approved for the property. And then that ended up being an off-market deal. For And I can tell you a little bit about why that ended up being an off-market deal and the hiccups that were involved in that one. But that ended up being an off-market deal. And we ended up buying then that house across the street, which was a quadplex which also had a parking lot associated with it, which for a New Yorker is a huge deal. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, it it can be a challenge, you know, when you've got a a big mortgage on one property, it can be a real challenge to go to a lender and say, Hey, we want to get another really big mortgage. (laughs) Yes. Can you talk about how that, how you negotiated that? How to how we negotiated getting the mortgage. Yeah. I mean, just in general, um, I mean, I, I, I don't know anything about your financial situation. We don't need sure. to get into like big details, but that can be, that can be a challenge when you've got one big, you know, residential mortgage already and you go to them and say, Hey, we want to get another $300,000, dollars loan. Sure. So for us, actually it was, e- it was pretty easy to be able to get that second loan because now we had already shown on the first property that, that, that the rental was really covering pretty much the whole mortgage. So honestly, getting the second mortgage was fairly simple and not much different than it was getting the first mortgage. It was still, you know, give all of your tax returns, all your, you know, every single piece of paper you've ever received in your life, give us all of those. But in general, it was really the same process, just doing it over a second time. Gotcha. And what did that second property look like? So that second property what is a fourplex so we got four units in that private house. There are two, three two bedrooms and one one bedroom, and then a parking lot with about fifteen parking spaces. Wow! Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I saw your face on that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that, my ears perked up. That is huge. We've interviewed actually a guy who invests in only parking. Sam Wilson on episode 40 invests strictly in parking lots uh, and he loves it. And it's especially valuable if you are in a big city where they are geographically constrained. We have actually thought about just possibly buying another parking lot. It is, there's no tenants. There's not really much overhead besides for us, no removal. And, you know, you have to pave every couple you know, every decade, but it's, it's pretty nice. Is it, Gated? I mean, is there like a gate code or are you just basically, how does that work? I have no idea how that works with a small parking lot. Sure. So what we did with it, we made sure that everybody had, we personally drew out the lines for all those different parking spaces. 
We do have security cameras that are over it. Unfortunately, the way the property is set up, we can't really put a gate so much in front of it. But we do have the security cameras, which are helpful for it. And everybody gets an assigned spot. So we don't care if, you know, Neil, you park your car or Brittany parks her car. That's your space, right? So your space is your space. Everybody parks in their space. And that is it. Gotcha. And obviously, if somebody parked in somebody else's spaces, they're probably going to pick up the phone and call the tow company. Yes. And knock on wood, we've actually never had that happen. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's awesome. And they pay for that those spots? Yes. So we provide spots first to any of our tenants that we have. And since the two properties are across the street, the first duplex we bought actually has no parking. So we are able to give not only ourselves parking, but we can actually now offer to all of our tenants parking and then any spots that are left. So that goes then in their lease for an additional fee. And then outside of that, then we are able to rent to any of our neighbors. And as it's New York, parking and off-street parking where somebody else will shovel for you and their security cameras on it can really be a premium. I have to ask, it almost seems like that would the rent on that would almost pay for the mortgage on the property by itself. It doesn't, but it's really helpful. Yeah, I bet. Okay. <laughs> um, this this was a this was a much bigger property, so it is a higher mortgage that we have on that one. Yeah, yeah. Um so unfortunately it does not cover all of it, but it does cover a very large chunk of it. Okay, so now you're at six units and it says here you've gotten to ten doors. Talk, talk to us about those those next two or three properties. Sure. So um, they're across the next two properties, um, the last doors. Then after that, my husband really wanted to buy in the Dominican Republic. He really wanted to be able to buy in his home country and not buy that short-term rental Airbnb and rent it out to tourists. He wanted to make sure to be sell, to be renting to locals. So we bought a place in the capital in Santo Domingo. And that is rented out long-term. So that was actually new construction that was also built in a complex, which is really nice because then it kind of comes with the security guard and it comes with the property manager and the handyman. And we have somebody on site that really does the collections uh, for rent and everything like that. So that was where we picked those up, the next ones. So you, both of those were in, in Santo Domingo. Gotcha. Yes. Gotcha. And then, so that's San Domingo. And then we have one more that we bought after that. So we haven't interviewed many people who have bought property in other countries. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the pitfalls and maybe the things that you need to understand before buying in another country? Sure. So that's question. That's one of the most popular questions I always get is about buying in another country, hands down. One of the things that I always like to remind people is that I was very fortunate that my husband has dual citizenship. The reason that that's important is because if you are not a citizen of the country that you would like to buy in, you need to pay in cash. That is the only option. A foreign country is not going to give you a mortgage. They There's no collateral. They don't care about your job back in America. They don't care what money you have in a savings account or what your credit score is in a country that they don't have any association with. So if you are looking to buy another country and you don't have citizenship, dual citizenship, you will need to be able to buy in cash. What's great and what was almost a situation that we discussed was that the property that we bought in the Dominican is a fraction of the cost of the properties we bought in New York. It was actually something that we could have bought in cash if we had wanted to, but uh, we are in the acquisition phase of our real estate journey at this point in time. In order to still be in that acquisition phase of our investment journey, 
it is important for us to stay as liquid as possible. So could we have bought it in cash? Yes. Did it make sense to buy it in cash? No. So we did mortgage it at the beginning, which once again, we were able to do because of my husband's dual citizenship. That was the only reason we were able to have that, to be able to get that mortgage. The mortgages are completely different than they are in America. <laughs> His mortgage is, it's a seven-year mortgage, okay. which just sounds crazy in itself. Why did we come up with seven? Don't know. Also, it is a, it's a balloon interest payment. So it starts off at one, one very high interest rate. And then over time, it goes to an even higher interest rate. <laughs> so that wasn't so much fun. So we did end up paying that property off much faster than intended, just because we would be paying more money on this low-priced property in a foreign country due to the interest than the amount of interest we would spend on a half a million dollar property in New York. Sure. So that was the route that we went. It is definitely important to not only know, once again, what those options are, but then once you buy that property, you still need to know some of the laws and the regulations there. So for example, here, and I know this is some, the same as in some states in the United States, in the Dominican Republic, stoves, washer dryers, refrigerators, those are not things that landlords provide for their tenants. In New York, you absolutely provide those things, but in the Dominican Republic, you don't. They just have a different structure for what some places aren't going to have a security deposit. Some places it's very typical to rent by the week. And if you have somebody to commit to a month, it's like, you know, it's like you're asking them to get married. You know, like they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like I was just thinking a week and fine, they might stay a year, but it's still just the way that things are considered normal. And obviously they're, they're positive cash flow. That one, uh, baby cash flow compared to the others. hundred percent. <laughs> but smaller, but smaller, you know. Smaller, smaller investment, smaller yeah, return. Smaller investment. So if you were forced to start over tomorrow knowing nothing about real estate investing, how would you go about educating yourself? What would what would your real estate MBA look like? Most people probably are not going to like this answer, but I actually don't think I would change very much. I think that the fact that I learned how to do this by actually doing it was really a benefit to me. I didn't get stuck in that analysis paralysis. I didn't get stuck reading and analyzing deal after deal after deal, and then second guessing, well, maybe I shouldn't buy in Ohio. Maybe I should look at Indiana. I didn't have any of those problems because I was almost my own little like bowl in a China shop that just kind of kept going. <laughs> Once again, it kind of worked for me. Clearly there was like a thousand places that that could have been a disaster, but I probably wouldn't have changed anything because I feel like I was able to learn through action rather than wasting years kind of analyzing. I think it was more important to kind of get into the game than to wait on it. It's actually a more common answer than you might realize, especially for people who are successful. <laughs> and you already <laughs> and you already had uh, you already had an entrepreneurial background. So I, I would say that your risk tolerance was already pretty I mean you, you bought a bar in Portugal. We haven't, <laughs> we haven't come across that yet. So uh, your risk tolerance is probably already uh, a little on the higher scale. So it, but it definitely, I think it makes so much sense for people. We tell often tell people, you know, don't get bogged down trying to get that perfect first deal. Just get a deal. That's not going exactly. to bankrupt you. And you will learn so much more just doing that one deal than you will from reading you know, listening to every podcast and reading every real estate book for three years. You are absolutely right. One, my risk tolerance is a little bit higher. When we bought doors nine and 10, 
now during 2020 back in the United States, that was something that a lot of people thought I was crazy for doing. But it actually ended up being one of the best deals that we found because of the way that we that we'd really set that deal up. But it was something that I had already had the experience before. I knew what the process was going to look like. Now I had a few more risks of, you know, a worldwide pandemic going on that I still had to kind of navigate those. But my risk tolerance was able to say, cool, what are the things I control? What are the things that I need to learn? And then what are the things that are kind of just going to be that, you know, outlier (laughs) that we're just going to have to see what happens with? But each deal, you end up learning more and more. And then you take that into the next deal. For the last deal that we bought, we bought it in upstate New York, about an hour away from Yonkers. And there were things that my husband and I asked or required information-wise that we never, (laughs) never thought, never crossed our minds for that first property. It was just something that, and we lucked out on on the first few properties for sure, but it was really interesting now, like this last property, you know, we were like, well, like, I don't know if he's not going to give me like that piece of information. But meanwhile, like the first property that never even crossed our minds. <laughs> we didn't know that existed. So how much time do you typically spend on your investments? Managing them? Very little. Very little. I always, I think it's interesting. The first few weeks that you buy a property, that's where really all the work comes in. And it depends on if, and honestly, I really feel that that tends to be more if the property is vacant when you buy it, right? Mm-hmm. Now you have to set it up with tenants. Um, you have to get them in. Now, once, and once you get a new tenant, it always takes a couple months for that tenant to kind of get settled in. But when you have a vacant property, there's just things that you don't realize are needed until somebody actually lives there. So mm-hmm. that first duplex that we bought, it was vacant. Like I said, we bought it from somebody that was a flipper. Well, this couple moved in to that upstairs apartment and then they called us and they were like, hey, we don't have a shower rod. Hey, we don't have a closet rod. <laughs> you know, there was just like, you know, we don't have curtains or like hooks for curtains. You know, they were just things that we didn't necessarily think of, but it really kind of put it into our own minds that when you don't have somebody living there, it takes a little bit longer to figure out what they need, what they don't need to then be comfortable. And there are some things that clearly are tenants' responsibilities versus ours. But it does take a couple months for that tenant to kind of know where to put the trash and what day the trash guys come or know what day that they have to deal with the bulk pickup so that that way their moving boxes can be taken out. So you're answering a lot more questions there. Once a tenant gets in and kind of gets settled, after like two months, it's really kind of on autopilot. The property that we bought, the last property that we bought, one of the things that I that I really wanted in that property it had it was three conditions I looked for to buy during COVID. The first was that it needed to be within an hour of my my current house because I wanted to be able to self-manage it. Two, it had to have existing tenants because I didn't want to have to deal with going and doing showings and having people no show that were screened and all that. And three, I wanted it to be turnkey. I wanted no major issues with the property. That property, I've been to twice. And I only went up there a second time because I knew I was coming down to live in the Dominican Republic for a couple months. And I wanted to show face to people that I never even had interaction with because they were already living there. They knew what day the garbage was. They knew where their shower rod was. You know, (laughs) they didn't have to think about those things. It was so much easier to be able to get that property up and running. Yeah, that makes sense. Gotcha. So it sounds like a lot of it is more about sort of training tenants to sort of 
how how the system works, how you're going to, you know, who you're going to call for maintenance, what, you know, where you're going to send the rent check and things like that. I'm a very big proponent of systems. That goes back to, once again, my day job and research. <laughs> I like systems. I like organization. So I think my husband and I have come up with a certain way that we can manage our tenants and make sure that that is in the best systemized way to then therefore not take up most of our time. My goal is not to be answering all these questions and always there. And I say that I'm really readily available and I like my tenants and I know most of them on a personal basis, but we put those things in place so that way we don't have to deal with all of those things on a daily basis. It's not just kind of this variable result where okay, I got a message today at nine and then tomorrow I get a message at two and now I got to deal with this here. It's a very kind of funneled process. So that way we know when something has to be dealt with and then we can deal with it then. But putting that system in place has been really, really helpful for managing our properties and not getting bogged down in the management of our properties. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of those systems and processes you've put in place? Sure. I think the most important thing is, well, there's two probably places I'll say that I would start with that. One is definitely screening your tenants. You need to know who's moving in. You need to know what they're going to be like. And I feel like I hear so many horror stories about landlords that didn't call their past landlord or didn't check their references or, and make sure that those references were actually real references. You know, I feel like that's the biggest problem, you know, making sure that it was actually their landlord rather than just their mother. I think screening tenants is incredibly important. You need to make sure that you're going to kind of have somebody live there that is looking really for like a home rather than just a rental. And then two, your lease. I think leases are so important. And when I hear so many landlords be like, oh no, they just moved in. We don't have a lease. And I'm like, oh my God, what do you mean you don't even have a lease? So we add every situation that's come up that we were like, oh, there's kind of a gray area there. We add it to our lease. We make it very clear. All of our tenants have the exact same lease. We just really use a template and then just kind of like change the addresses and change the names. Um, but we keep adding to it. It's about 10 pages long. I don't expect it to get much longer than that because I feel like we've really covered everything that we have. But there's so many times when we'll get like a message and it's like, cool. So on page four of your lease, it explains what to do with garbage. Okay. On page six of your lease, that talks about your, about your moving out process and your security deposit refund. And we make it very clear, black and white writing. And I think that's really, really helped us. Are there any tools or anything like that you use to sort of automate that? Is there any place that you use to screen your tenants? Sure. So for screening my tenants, I usually use neighborly.com. I really like them because they, they give all the information that you need, but then they also make it really easy for landlords to kind of look in a snapshot because they make it like a grading system. So then for the different categories, they'll kind of give you like a green light, yellow light, red light. So I can just kind of look. And if I see a whole bunch of red, I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to see any more of this. I'm just closing this. Like we're moving on. If I see kind of like more greens, then it's like, okay, I'm still going to do my due diligence and make sure to go through it. But at least it gives me a really fast glance at if a tenant's going to work or not. Yeah, you kind of weed out people quickly initially, and then you can dig deeper for the ones that don't have those um, red flags. I also use a Google Doc for a pre-screening. So I don't even show the property to people that I that are not going to qualify. So yes, I'll do I'll use Neighborly for to collect the information so I can call the previous landlord, references, credit check, employment history, but 
I have that pre-screening Google document. You know, we've all done that before. You go and you post on Facebook Marketplace, hey, here's my rental, and you get a thousand people that just write like, hey, is this available? And you're like, I posted it two seconds ago. Of course it's available. So I write back just as much as they send me an automated message. I send them an automated message. Thanks for inquiring. Yes, it's available. Please complete this link. And then I just, and I only respond back to the people that pass the pre-screening. So it's a Google form that goes Google into form, Google, yeah. Yeah, it goes into a Google Doc. Yep. Last thing, you have a Facebook group called uh, Lady Landlords. Do you want to tell us about that? Sure. So as many of us experienced, we all got quarantined um, back in 2020. And we're all trapped at home with our partners if we have one. And sometimes you're like, I need other people to talk to. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I'm going to go make some friends on the internet. So I started a um, help group for women in real estate called Lady Landlords. And really, I put it out there just because I had my own questions myself that I was hoping to kind of get some feedback on. And, you know, you kind of felt a little lonely. I was like, I don't know if there's other women that are investing in real estate. Let's find out. So I started the Facebook group. And in we're, we'll hit one year next month in February, and we will have 10,000 women that have joined the Lady Landlords Facebook group. So now I have resources that I create for whatever the group kind of needs. So now we do networking events. I created a getting started course as well as a scaling your portfolio course. We do different workshops, really whatever topics like I kind of identify that I'm like, okay, there's a lot of questions about this. We're like, great, let's hop on a call. Let's talk about it. Let's find some answers and some solutions. I'm a very action-oriented person. So I like to be able to help women be able to take that next step and get involved in their own real estate journey. Fantastic. Very good. Well, Becky Nova, thank you so much for sharing with us today. You've got the Lady Landlords community and all the associated courses. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, If any of our guests want to reach out to me and find out more about you, what's the best way they can do that? Sure. The best way is to find me on Facebook. Once again, go to Lady Landlords on Facebook. I will pop up. You can find me there. Or you can also find me on Instagram at BeckyNova24. Sounds pretty good. Thanks for sharing with us today. Of course. Thanks so much for having me on. I really enjoyed this today. Thank you. Yeah, us too. Us too. Thank you. Okay, that was Becky Nova from lady-landlords.com. Be sure and go check out her community and all that it has to offer, both on her website and on Facebook. So for you, do you have a key lesson learned? Do you want me to go first? You go first. Okay. For me, and this is something we harp on a lot, which is don't get caught up in analysis paralysis. Just learn by doing as much as you can. Don't get hung up trying to hit a home run on your first property. Just buy something that allows you to learn and that's not going to bankrupt you. And trust me, you will learn by doing that. I think the other thing that you might want to take from this episode is really just her recommendations on tenant screening. I think those are, you know, obviously she didn't go super into detail, but I think those, those two things are really good places to start and like leases and just sort of really making sure that you're thinking about that. If you don't have like an experienced property manager or someone that's, you know, helping you along with that, um, that that's a a place that you need to make sure that you're not just winging it. Yeah. Uh, make sure you clear your lease with the local, with a local real estate attorney. Do not rent a property to someone without a lease. And I really liked how she talked about screening with a Google form, basically saying, you know, not getting caught up in every, 
every person going, hey, is this still available? You know, just automatic message. Yes, it's still available. Fill out this form. And then going from that and just pre-screening people. Uh, that's very, very important. You don't want to be bogged down in, in having to um, deal with a thousand people trying to, especially in, in a place like New York City. Knowledge. She really learned by doing. We didn't really talk about any other like yep. books or anything that she yep. did. She, I think she just kind of dove in. Yeah. And she sort of, uh, you know, as she said, she didn't start off thinking that she was going to go into real estate. They bought a property uh, and she just, her criteria was she just wanted to make some money. Yeah. Uh, and they, of course, lived in that uh, small apartment. They live in the small apartment below their three bedroom, one and a half uh, in the townhouse in Yonkers. And they, you know, I'm yeah. sure that makes them money. And they, yeah. she learned by doing time. How much time does she spend on her real estate endeavors now? Very little. Yes. Quote. Quote. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think as we've noted many times before, if you have your systems in place and you have either, you know, someone that's helping you with it, or you're just very like systematic, like she is with having it all in the lease you really don't spend a lot of time on the management. I'm sure if she's in acquisition mode, just like everyone else, she probably spends a little bit more time in that beginning part, but on a a day-to-day basis, I'm sure it's either a little bit or almost nothing in a day, depending on. Do you want to tell us about how much money it took uh, to get started? It was about $50,000 and that included both the down payment and the closing costs for a $465,000 $465,000 turnkey, uh, although it was a little, she said it was a little rough around the edges, duplex. Could they do this strategy from anywhere in the world? They did. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And she talked about like possibly, you know, she had set up teams in other places and she was looking at their places. Obviously, they sort of aren't doing that right now because they were able to end up, they, they found properties in New York and then and then did the Dominican Republic thing. But I assume that if they decided that it would make sense to continue acquiring and they wanted to do it elsewhere that they could just find the team and make it happen. Yep. Okay. Once again, that was Becky Nova from lady landlords.com. You can also find her on Facebook, which we encourage you to do. Uh, we thank her for sharing today. I'm Brittany and I'm Neil. And this is the road to family freedom. Let's hit the road. Bye. Bye. Hey, before you go, if you like the show, we would be delighted if you'd head over to Podchaser and leave us an honest review. And do let us know why you like the show, how long you've been listening, and in particular, what you find really useful or entertaining. And let us know if there's anything you think we should change. Also, if you have specific questions about real estate investing, especially self-storage or short-term rentals, shoot us an email at info at roadtofamilyfreedom.com and we'll be happy to answer your question on the show. We might even turn it into an entire episode. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels on your road to financial freedom.